0: Good morning, welcome
1: this morning, let's stand up and worship.
0: Good morning, Journey Church. My name is Chase, and today is a special Sunday. And it's not because the Patriots are playing, because I don't watch football. (laughs) Today is Communion Sunday. Once a month, the first Sunday of every month, we get a second to celebrate communion. So what i like to do to start off is just take a deep breath. (sighs) Communion is all about reflection. It's hard to reflect unless you, like, actually stop for a second to like think and breathe and I think some of the time like when I was thinking of the like what to share today I was thinking about how a lot of times we approach scripture right we read scripture as if like we need advice for something so we go to the scripture and say like what does scripture say about this which is awesome that's great <laughs> did you know if someone gives you advice what they're really telling you is you suck in this area and I need to help you out That's what advice is. I mean, some of you guys' minds are blown right now. Like, when someone gives you advice, they're telling you, you're kind of terrible at this. So, here's some advice. I think that's why we, like, approach Scripture so weird and feel so beaten up all the time. Because there's all of these things that we just suck at. Do you know Scripture isn't just about good advice or even primarily? The reason it's called good news is because it's good news. The difference between advice and news is advice is like do this in your life may or may not improve. News is there's something that has happened that the world will never be the same again. And that thing was Jesus came to earth and he died because we could not get it together. Because we could never be good enough. He died on our behalf. So today what we get to do there are four tables in In this room all in the corners over the course of the next couple of songs what I would encourage you to do if you call Jesus your Lord if you call yourself a Christian I'd encourage you to take these songs to reflect where am I falling short what needs to be changed how can I be grateful not only on Sunday mornings but through my entire life for what God has done on my behalf what Jesus did on my behalf So I'd encourage you guys, take a second, breathe, think, reflect Jesus' goodness that he died on your behalf to restore relationship. So why don't you guys pray with me? I thank you, Lord God, for today. I thank you, God, for what you have done on our behalf, that we could not get it together, that we could not make ourselves good enough there is no advice in this world that was going to cure the human problem. That we are broken and without hope, and yet you made a way. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying on our behalf. Thank you for restoring relationship and hope and love. Thank you for doing what we couldn't. I praise you and I thank you. Amen.
1: at the bottom of the boat. There is no need for fear. There's no need to be roused in that that moment. So today, let's sing together with one voice that God is a God who gives us the faith to stand in those moments, that we are the people that get to...
2: History. I'm going to give the giving message and the announcements at the same time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I got an extra hour of sleep this morning, so I am just ready to go. I figured I can take care of both and get you guys out of here a few minutes, uh, a few minutes early. So one of my uh, favorite uh, Bible passages is 1 Corinthians 12. And it talks about uh, that as Christians, we are the body of Christ. And the whole chapter is about someone's the arm and someone's the leg, someone's the eye, someone's the ear. And we all have our part to play when we consider ourselves to be a follower of Christ. And the passage also talks about sometimes there's jealousy amongst Christians. You know, the, the ear wants to be the eye, the eye wants to be the hand. And we all want different things and we feel like our contribution is not important. And the pastor talks about th- that's not the point. It's that we come together. So you might be sitting there going, you know, I'm, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the one that gets to preach the sermon. Or I'm not the one that gets to lead everybody in worship. Or I'm not the one that gets to give the giving message and the announcements at the same time. That's not, that's not me. Somebody else gets to do that. But we all have our part to play because we are part of the body of Christ. And one of the uh, verses says that God actually picked our part. It wasn't that I'm the eye or the ear. God actually said, you're designed to do this part in the church, so that's what I'm going to sign for you to do, whether it's a big part or a small part. And I think a lot of times we think about during uh, the giving, the tithe, we think, you know, my my money's not going to go anywhere. I remember as a kid, I uh, my parents taught me how to tithe, and so when I had a birthday and got any money, I would always have to give 10% of that to the church. And I remember one time giving just a couple dollars, two, three dollars into the offering plate, and my thought was, that could've bought me a bag of candy. I mean, that's, that's $3. What is the church gonna do with this $3? I could do a lot with that $3, but what is the church gonna do? And I realized that's, that really wasn't the point. And so when I give my tithe now, that thankfully is more than $3, but it's, I think, gosh, you know, what, what is it actually doing? Because I could do a lot with that, but what, is the church really gonna not survive if I don't give my money? But it's about being part of the body of Christ. See, because i'm counting on you and you and you to also be doing the same thing to be saying you know what i may not have a lot to give I, that 10 percent might not be a lot my giving might not be a lot but i'm going to do it because i'm part of the body of christ so if we're all doing our job that's what makes this church thrive so what i want to do real quick this morning in terms of the announcements is give you a few things that this money goes to when you put money on that offering plate this is what it goes to number one is the grace resource center uh, this is an amazing place that reaches out to the homeless in our community and on November 27th, they're actually doing another outreach uh, through Journey Church. Um, that is the day before Thanksgiving, so I know they're gonna need a lot of help. But if you can serve that day, uh, they would love to have your help that day. If you'd like more information, you just go to the hot spot at the back. Another one is what's called the Christmas Chill. Uh, this is the uh, foster teen party that we do every year. Um, I've been to a couple of them and I'm telling you, it's fun. I wanted to participate and they wouldn't let me. And I was a little sad i just had to make sure there was another adult in the room but i got to watch them uh, fun with the face painting and all the different things that they do there it's just a special night uh, for those kids and, w- and one of the most important things they do is that no kid leaves there empty-handed every single student who comes to that night gets a gift on the way out the door and it's just a special thing to make their lives feel special during this christmas time so if you like to volunteer that night it's going to be on december 6th um, or want to give a gift for that again go to the hot spot i'm sure they'll be able to help you out with that And finally, the last thing is the one that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Next summer, Lord willing, we're going back to Romania like we did a couple years ago. Um, Just so you guys know, this date is wrong. We actually put the wrong date. It's going to be next Sunday, November 10th. So not the 11th, on Sunday after 10th, right after church. I'm just going to give you guys some information about the meeting, the cost, what we're going to be doing there. It's just an exciting time. The the main thing that we do is we work at a summer camp and we lead devotions and we lead groups and we just work with the kids um, that come to that summer camp. Uh, It's in the hills of Reisitza, Romania, and it's just a wonderful time. No one that's ever gone on this trip has ever wished they hadn't. Everyone has just been an excited part about what God's doing there and just to see another culture and another people worshiping Jesus like we do here every Sunday. So as the ushers come forward, I would like to pray for us for the offering. God, thank you so much that you take whatever it is that we can give, whether it's big or small, and you use it for your kingdom. May we never forget the role that you have chosen for us in the body of Christ. May every single one of us that calls ourselves Christians uh, just give everything they have every single week. God, we love you so much. Pray your time blessing over this uh, time together. You I pray. Amen. All right, with that, Shane decided he had a couple more announcements for us. So, here we go.
3: Thank you. Buddy? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, I'm happy to be with you guys this morning. Yeah, I have just a, a couple more amou- announcements of what's going on here at Journey. Uh, first of all, if you're in fifth or sixth grade, thank you for joining us for worship. You can go ahead and be dismissed out into the lobby. Your teacher's going to meet you there, take you over to the north building. Um, secondly, we've been doing weekly connect events. Those have been going really well. We would love for all of you guys to come join us on Wednesday night. Uh, this coming Wednesday, we're going to do some uh, speed friending. Uh, we have... Uh, we <laughs> You can drop off your kids anywhere from, um, if from birth to sixth grade. We can, uh, we can provide some babysitting for you guys while you hang out. Um, so speed friending there. The taco truck is going to be here at 6.30. I like tacos. My fiance likes tacos. We might be there. No, she goes to school. I'm just kidding. Um, So we won't be there. I'll be at the crash though, which is also going to be going on at the north building on Wednesday night. That's our teenager program. Yes. Yes. All five of us will be at the other building and we're going to be having a great time. It really is like five of us. It's okay though. Um, (laughs) The moms on purpose or moms of purpose are going to be having a movie night. Coming up this Friday, um, we, they're hosting a movie night for you guys, so if you, uh, it's a girl's night. So, uh, gentlemen, sorry, you can't go. It's a girl's night out, November 8th. It's gonna be a movie night where they're gonna be viewing The War Room. I personally have never seen that movie, but it sounds really cool. I don't know what it's about, but it's War Room. Um, if you, this is, uh, this is a special announcement, My uh, this one of my final announcements is gonna be for the Barbarian Circle. If you're a part of the Barbarian Circle, you are gonna be having a barbarian feast that you can have the ability to participate in. It's gonna be on December 7th. The fee for this feast is $30 and you're gonna need to be able to stop by the the hotspot and pay that fee by uh, November 17th in order to participate in this feast, which you're not gonna wanna miss out on if you are a barbarian. Lastly, I would like to thank all the guests that joined us this morning. If you're a guest here today, thank you for spending your Sunday with us. We here at Journey Church are grateful. We would like to show that gratitude by giving you just a little gift in the hotspot if you could stop by and grab that after service. If you guys would do me a favor, stand up and say hi to someone around you um, and get ready for the sermon.
4: How's everybody's November going? <laughs> Y'all, you got an extra hour of sleep. I don't want no lacking energy from you today, okay? We got an extra hour. We're good to go. I'm excited. Uh, my dad is not feeling well this morning, so you can keep him in your prayers. Got a little fever, so you know, he's got to take a, a little time to rest and we recuperate. We cooperate. Um, but the year is pretty much over. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is about the time where you blink, you have Thanksgiving, you blink again, it's Christmas, and then you blink and it is 2020 and you maybe didn't remember New Year's, but it happened. And I looked back and so I, as we're talking about this series and we're not in a series, but we're going to just be talking today from what God's been put on my heart. But as I've been thinking about the series that we've gone through over the last number of seasons and this over this year, it's been really crazy because I look at it. Um, we started out with one uh, called "The Healthy Me," moved into one called "Bottled Up," and um, we just continued on. We had we did a "Let It Be" series and the Way, and and a couple other really great ones in between. But it's been crazy to see this theme. Of what God has been doing in our church, what He's been doing here, um, and it's been so—it's uh, been so focused on the internal. Uh, it's a removal of just like going through the motions and, and what to do necessarily to be a good Christian, and, and it starts taking this step into looking within and what's going on and and what uh, what what He has for us and what this is really all about because. You know, churches are, I don't know if you know this, but churches in a lot of ways are declining. It's not really that popular because we live in a day and age that people don't necessarily want to be told what is right or wrong and what's good or bad because the church has done a poor job in the past of not exploiting that or using that to their own advantage. So people are like, I'll take, I'll figure that out on my own. Thanks. The Bible becomes a great kind of like guidebook. But it could be, you know, connected to any other number of of self-help books or books that we see as really helpful. So where we're at today and what I feel like God's been showing me is just we're going to talk about sight today. We're going to talk about seeing. Where's my folks with twenty twenty vision? You got good eyesight. I see you. Some of you are bitter because that's not you. You can hear me, but you can't see me. (laughs) <laughs> That's okay <laughs> Love you all the same Talking about sight today because I think that there's a, a lot that goes into this idea of what we see how you see Whether you see or don't see um, And this was a huge theme in scripture. This is a big deal throughout all of scripture. You start to see this theme of sight It's talked about a lot um, And I feel like recently god's given me a lot of opportunity because there's a difference between seeing and seeing, like there's a real difference between what I physically see and what I'm perceiving, I should say, some of you were lost. We're talking the difference between vision, physical sight and perception, right? Different things give you percep- perspective and help you to see. Uh, for me, traveling does that a lot. I find that like my life starts to look like it's under a magnifying glass. Everything, you start to see that maybe if you, you're you like in the same thing for too long, all of a sudden your problems start to blow. Like, it gets overwhelming and like things that maybe shouldn't be such a big deal are a really big deal to you. And like all of a sudden things are just a bit overwhelming and it feels like all that it is in life is just right here in your circle, your sphere. What you're going through is the only thing. The, le- the world may stop if, you know, if you don't get your next paycheck or something. We get really like locked into our problems, our worlds, our struggles as if, and that's the only thing. Not that that's a bad thing, but I just think we lose perspective. It becomes, things get bigger. They get, I think that they start to grow when we lack perspective. For me, God helps bring me perspective when I travel. So I recently got to go to uh, Uganda and uh, it was my second time going and I love this country. I love it because it just is so different from what I've been brought up in. It's so, such a different world. It's a vibrant culture. It is beautiful, green, and lush, and the people are just so incredibly loving and hospita- spot- hospitable. <laughs> you can take that one home. Pray on it a bit. Hospitable and and just so like Endearing, they're real, just good-hearted folks and we get to be a part of we got to go and be a part of this uh, this high school or it was actually their full school graduation and at this point this it's a nonprofit and they're running over 800 students in their school in the middle of Gulu in Africa and it was incredible to be a part of this graduation because you get to see people just like celebrate and I mean it was all out celebration it's unreal. Um, when a, when a student, whether they were like ki- like graduating kindergarten, because we did a couple different levels of graduation, all the way up to graduating what we would consider, I think like um, it would be considered like graduating from junior college, um, the moms and the women of the household, when the name got called and they would grab their, uh, their certificate, they'd get their diploma, the women would start screaming jump out of their seats and run down to the front pick these kids up like hit them with a a handkerchief i don't know what that was for but and run them back to their family but and it was just this funny thing because at first i'm like what is going on here you do not see that in our graduations (laughs) security would grab you faster than you could make it to the front of the room they would just knock you out tackle you you'd be flat on your face It'd be a story worth telling, though. But this was this, and and it was just this vibrancy and this culture of celebration that this stuff mattered. And I started thinking, like, why is that? Like, is it just a cultural thing? Is it just, but it was because there is something that education symbolized in this community that is so different than here. It's not just something that is expected and everybody does. This is a rarity. It's an opportunity. It is a hope for to have that diploma it is a key to hopefully a better world, a better life, a, a change, something to come. And I sat there, and I'm looking at this, and that was amazing. But I think what really got to me, I, kind of, I shared a little bit about it, but what really got to me was the students that were with us um, invited us to come to their church service the next morning. They were going to be doing a church service, and they, they uh, decided that, uh, to invite us to the early morning, morning glory. And I said, that sounds spiritual. What's that about? And they said, it starts at 4.30. <laughs> I said, way too spiritual for me. I'll be in bed till 8. <laughs> what time does your real service start? They said, 8 o'clock. I said, I will be there. Um, 4.30, these, these young people got up and started praying. And they said they wanted to start interceding on behalf of their families, their schools, uh, their communities, their government, their country. And I like, I'm not going to lie, I got real convicted, not because I felt like I should be doing that, but because I realized there was a hunger and a need and a desire for the things of God to be so real and present that people were willing to get outside of what was convenient and easy and what, was, what worked for them to get with God. And I kind of just felt like God was like, you said you want to move in AV, what are you willing to do to have that happen? And I was like, uh-oh. Not that. <laughs> no, I will if he tells me to. Please don't tell me to. I'll do late nights. I'm good for late nights, okay? You'll be praying. We'll, you'll have prayer over you at two, 2 o'clock in the morning, and then I will go to bed for 4 o'clock. But it was this beautiful thing because I walked in at 8 o'clock, not sure what, I was, what to expect or what was going to happen. And what I walked into and like was something that was really crazy. Because you walk into their, their uh, gymnasium, and it's uh, you, go, you walk in at the top because it's stadium style, even though it's not that big. And you walk down to the main floor um, where they have, you know, like where everything takes place. And we walk in, and I kind of go to the front, and it's just a group of students, probably 12 to 18 years old, not an adult in sight no teacher, nobody taking role. Probably about 50, 60 of them, nobody else. I mean, there wasn't the whole school, wasn't 800 kids. And we walked into them just praising God, singing at the top of their lungs. Now, mind you, there are no lights. It's just the lights from the windows. There is no sound system. They have a drum in the middle that they played with sticks. You know how I know? Because the stick would break. Someone would run outside, grab another stick, bring it into them, and they'd continue playing. (laughs) We get bent out of shape when, you know, like, the drummer misses a beat, and these kids are, like, throwing a stick and tossing, like, grabbing the next one. I mean, this was just dedication. Dedication. And I sat there in awe, because then they moved from that, and, like, they didn't have, there was no, like, somebody with a microphone singing and, like, backing tracks and all of that stuff. It was just plain them worshiping and they had like, a, like a, a song director. And so one of the students would come to the front and they would kind of start a song and lead it and the kids would repeat it. And then they'd go into this chorus and it'd be this beautiful chorus with like four part harmonies, which is so freaking annoying. Because if you know anything about music, to be able to naturally sing that beautifully is just like, that's, it takes a lot of work. And these students would just like sing their hearts out and then they stopped singing and the drum started a new beat, and they started dancing. Some of you just puckered a little bit. <laughs> dancing in church, in our culture. The first thing I thought is like, man, some, some American Christians would be real bent out of shape by this. This would be a problem. I mean, they weren't bumping and grinding or anything. I know that's what you're picturing. You know the last wedding you went to. But this was... This was something completely different. Somebody, just like the singing, would start out doing some kind of movement, and everybody else would follow, but it was a total act of praise. They did it with their eyes closed, and they did it with these huge smiles on their faces, and I just sat there, and I could not help but feel the heartbeat of God, just like his smile, just so overjoyed by these young people, so in love with him, they didn't care, and I just it was this moment that was so real coming home and realizing, like, the perspective of, like, man, it's hard in Christian churches in America to, like, we have to debate over whether you can raise your hands or not. Is that a distraction? Is that just about you? Or is that your, your form of worship to God? You close your eyes, you know? What is this really all about? If I sing, am I, like, we get insecure about it, or we get weird about it, and it's like, well, I'm not a singer, so I don't do that. I'm like, well, but that's not the point, really, because it's really about worship is just the overflow of a heart that says, God, you have done it, and you deserve all I have. See, we make the thing about the thing itself and stop remembering what the thing was there for in the first place, and that's really all religion is in the first place, right? Religion is all about taking the thing and making that the thing itself and really the rules and all the things were just there to help us get connected to God. And religious, religion is what thrives. It's what, it's what thrives because I really think in the longer I'm in church, the more I realize people have a negative connection to when we start talking about religion versus relationship. I really think people genuinely are more connected to and more comfortable with religion than they are with relationship with God. Religion says, uh, give me the checklist. Tell me what I got to do. I'm going to live my week out balancing my goods and my bads. Maybe I said this curse word, but then, you know, I texted my mom and she was happy. (laughs) Like I did something really bad. So I did give money to that homeless guy, even though I don't know how he's going to use it. You know what I'm talking about. We know what I'm talking about. Religion becomes this like counterbalancing of like, you like you have two buckets, and it's like, okay, well, got to put more in this one because it's starting to sink, and that's the bad bucket. So I got to put more in my good bucket to make sure that everything balances out because otherwise God's not going to hear me. And when I do need him, he's definitely not going to answer my prayers. And I may not make it to heaven. And I know this is real because on the other side, we have unchurched people, non-churchy people who I have conversations with and are like, yeah, I don't think I can go to church. Uh, they wouldn't want me there. I hear that. I Literally, you'd be shocked about how many times I hear that. I hear that all the time. Yeah, they wouldn't want me there. And I think it's so interesting because we've become addicted to religion. And in a weird way, we have come full circle to living out, outside of the, maybe some of the sacrificial system, a lot of the ways that the temple did church in the back in the past. And Jesus is, uh, I think Jesus inviting us into the church is something that, like, we get caught back into religion so quickly that we don't even realize that we've done it. Sight becomes what we see suddenly is about what rules you're following, how well you're doing in it, how we keep track, and we, like, how many times you go, did you go to church this month? For those of you who said one, you kind of hang your head down low, a little embarrassed, but I have good reasons. Other church people are judging you. Haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> like, that's their welcome, and that how, if that's motivating... Thank you. You know, like, what what do you say to that? You haven't been here for a while. We love that one. Religion is what I think is what we've been talking about all year long. God is inviting us into something other than. It is a personal relationship. But I think the thing is, is religious people get a bad rep. At the same time, Pharisees get a really bad rep. Did you know in religious, or in this day and age, when these letters were being written and before Jesus came on the scene, Pharisees weren't the bad guys. They were the heroes of the faith. Pharisees were trying to get the culture and the community back on track with God because God was not going to come and save them and bring the Messiah who was supposed to save them from the Romans until they got their act together and they started following the law and they separated themselves. They became a holy nation. Holy means set apart. They wanted to be a holy nation. They had to be set apart. So these religious leaders began to learn the scriptures and pour over them to begin to learn the rules so that they could get in a place that was observing how God wanted them to live so that God would be pleased. He would send their Messiah and that they would be free. The problem is, the rules became an end in themselves, and they became so dedicated to those that they lost sight of everything else, and when Jesus stepped on the scene, it got real complicated real fast, because Jesus was ruining their entire structure. By the point Jesus got on the scene, it was no longer about the rules leading people to Jesus and helping them live a life that was going to point them to being different and, and And removing all the hindrances that keep them from connection with God, it became a a form of authority. It became a place where they could actually now uh, exert their own power. But I think it's so interesting because Pharisees do get a bad rep. We look at Jesus and his encounters. And my dad talked about, he he gave a couple stories last week that I think were amazing. One was he talked about the woman who, uh, who just barged into this Pharisee's house that Jesus was having dinner at, recognize he was having dinner at a Pharisee's house, first and foremost. I had a friend who pointed that out to me. But the second thing is, she comes up to him, as he's lounging and eating dinner, starts crying over his feet, wiping them with her, like, her tears, and she has her whole alabaster jar, and all of this stuff, and it's this like moment. It's this beautiful moment, but this, there's this cr- parallel conversation going on at the same time. He's talking to the woman, telling her her sins are forgiven, talking to the Pharisee, who's really, really having a hard time with this whole situation, my dad went on to talk about another story of the prodigal son. Who, who knows the story of the prodigal son? We all kind of do and like shake our heads. Yes, heard it, been there, heard that, yes, yes. Prodigal son story happens. There's a son that leaves, dips out, wants his dad's money, tells him basically, you're as good as dead to me. I'll take your money instead of a relationship with you. Father gives it to him, runs off, spends it in Vegas, comes home because he's got no money left, he, you know, he's got nothing, he says, I can just be a slave in my father's house. They, they get treated better than I'm getting treated. Comes home, father runs out to him, loves on him, like wraps his coat around him, puts a ring on his finger, celebrates him. The older brother really struggles with this. Older brother's a Pharisee. My dad proposed that there was this, like, that maybe, just maybe, we have to fight against the, the older brother mentality in church, being the big brother, the older brother. Can we celebrate those who are far from the, fra- far from the faith and seem the most undeserving of it and can come back in? You know, it's so funny, because even in just talking about this, like, some of you won't know what I'm talking about, but others of you are really going to know what I'm talking about. The whole, like, Kanye West conversation comes up. And it's so interesting to see people's conversations and their personalities and perspectives on that whole dynamic. Whether it's his music, our attack on that, and is it genuine, is it real, is it authentic? You know, there's a couple other people that that people said that about. One was the name of Saul. You know him as Paul. I wanna talk about him a little bit today. Uh, Acts 9, one through 19 says this. This is a story about Saul. I don't have it on the screens, so you can either pull it up on your Bibles or you can listen intently. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. What? See, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. We just got done in our way series. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city And you will be told what to do. I think this is so interesting. So Saul, first encounter we have with him is just a couple chapters before. Uh, A man named Stephen just gets murdered for his faith. Saul is right there cheering them on, helping them out. Yeah, get him. He's the enemy of the right way of doing things. He's the enemy of the right way of doing things. If that ain't religious thinking, I don't know what is. Our way. Our way. And Saul is there on his way now to do this mass removal of people who worship in the way, who serve Jesus, who seek Jesus. And on his way, and in pursuit of doing what he believed was the right thing, this holy endeavor, he gets knocked down. And I think it's so interesting because this is a moment that I think is so human, so real. Recognize we're talking about real people here because Saul later turned, Paul now writes letters that you read. If you read your New Testament, you're reading letters that this man, Paul, wrote. We're not talking about some idea, some cool story of a guy that like, you know, maybe or maybe didn't exist. This is not an issue of existence. This is a man who was a real life man who had real life ambitions and who really thought he was doing the, real, the right thing. And this man sat there and this is what he said. Jesus, he, got, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his response is something that is so intriguing to me. He says, who are you, Lord? Someone who had been in the church his entire life. Someone who had been doing the right things, doing all the, observe, like, observing the law and doing all the right stuff. When Jesus actually spoke to him, he didn't even recognize his voice. Who are you? I wonder how many of us are so used to doing the things and going through the things and sitting in services and hearing the thing and doing what you got to do. And I know that church struggles with this because y'all don't mean to call anybody out. But we get bent out of shape when somebody takes our seat on Sunday mornings. Somebody takes your seat, you're ready to leave the church. You are up in arms. I hate this church. All the chaos everywhere, which... Why can people just know their seats and their places? I'm telling you, we get bent out of shape real quickly. It's easy to do, and it's it's a joke, but it's kind of a real place, right? Like different things really messes up on how things should be. What would you have done today if I cleared this all out and was like, I'm going to take a lesson from what I learned in Africa. We're going to dance and sing with a drum today. You would leave. You would leave, you would walk out real quickly. Some of you politely would be like, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom, (laughs) run to your cars. Right? We have a way of doing things. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying we've gotta be aware of at what point that takes precedence over what we are here for in the first place. What is this is really about in the first place? This moment, Saul who thinks he is really doing the right thing, is encountering Jesus and, and finds himself saying, who are you? Scares me to think that people who have been in church a long time, when it came down to actually encountering Jesus, would be so far removed from even recognizing him. I would say I'm, just, like, I would fear that for myself. I Like, I want to know that I know Jesus. The voice replied, "'I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to into the city, and you will be told what you must do.' When the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink.' I would be freaking out if I opened my eyes and I was suddenly blind and you had no reason for it and you had no clue what to do about it. Who's with me? I depend on my eyes a lot every time I'm not sleeping. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's a big deal. See, we take the humanity away from these people. We read the stories and we sit here and we listen. Put yourself in this position. You all of a sudden just have this crazy encounter with this man, Jesus, who is the very person that you're persecuting and all the people who worship him, you're persecuting. Now you get up off your butt because you just got knocked down. And when you get up, you can't see a thing for three days. Tell me your life isn't kind of a little messed up. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Recognize the difference. Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. Instantly, Ananias recognizes the voice of God. But it doesn't mean that he likes what he says. Listen to this. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Tell me that you wouldn't agree with him in this moment. You have heard about somebody in your church community dying, being killed for their faith, and the very person who maybe was a a huge promoter of that and who has now come on his way to take all Christians and put them in prison, suddenly... You're being told to go to him. I love that this is this human moment because I think for those who do see God and really are listening for his voice, it's not always easy to listen to what he has to say. To execute that. It's not always easy to actually do what he's saying. But the Lord exclaimed to Anna, I've heard, oh yeah, we already said that. But the Lord said, go for... For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. There is a moment that is really important that we don't miss. Sight is not Equating to sight it is not important that you recognize that saul had scales on his eyes, and then suddenly they came off It is important that we recognize that throughout scripture There are blind people who jesus is making see because it is symbolic of the spiritual awakening that is taking place There was a religious man who thought that he was fighting for the right things who was shown to be blind Completely blind though. He could see and the scales came off and suddenly he was up and getting baptized because he recognized that this was it This was it. This was the way. This is what he was needing to fight for. It goes on to say he went preaching. Now, this is what I think is intense and I love about this. Because Saul turned Paul has to turn around and now preach to some of the very people that as he makes eye contact with them, he knows, I just put your daughter in prison. Your husband is in a jail cell right now. Yes, you have heard of my legacy that I have Uh, that I was a part of murdering Stephen, I wonder if he ever had to preach directly to Stephen's family. Do you ever feel like your past is the thing that's keeping you from being able to step into your God-given future, your present? See, here's the thing that I love about Paul is he is the perfect combination, I think, of what we all struggle with, which is that we are both the sinner and the Pharisee at the same time. All of us, we struggle, like the Pharisee gets a bad rep, but in a lot of ways, we all tend to be either the Pharisee or both the Pharisee and the sinner at the same time. Suddenly, Saul's past is the very thing that, and he thought he was doing the right thing, is in the way of the future that God has for him, and he has to fight for his authority the rest of his ministry. The rest of his ministry, it didn't go away. But I love this because what I see is that Jesus has a heart for all people, all people, that the Pharisee and the sinner alike, because they are one in the same, we are one in the same. The only difference is those who see and those who do not, who truly see. Yo, we are inviting you into relationship. If you want religion, you're going to find yourself In one of two places, people who show up to church for a long time, they either move in one of two directions. They either move towards Jesus or they move towards religion. There's one way or the other. You'll know by what comes out because if you find yourself a bit more bitter, resentful, frustrated, and annoyed because you're following the formula and you're following the rules and it feels like God isn't, you may be falling on the wrong side because there's no formula, there's no rules. What God begins to show us is this man who is so zealous, so set on making sure that everything goes the right way, gets eyes to finally see, begins to present, begins to write, and suddenly has such a heart for the church, and see, the church is important because this is a moment in time when things are going to switch, and the church was known as the way, and my dad talked about this, it was not, if you were to ask people about early times, like what church they went to, they would be so confused because you didn't attend a church. You were connected to a family, a group of believers, but you were the church, the church was you. So to go to a location and say what church, there is no name for a church. You were it. And I love this because this is what I see in myself where the Pharisee comes out. My dad tells me on Friday because he's still sick that he's still not feeling well. I go in and ask him like, how are you feeling? And he looks like this. I'm like, whatever's about to come out of your mouth is not going to be good. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to try, but I'll be ready for this And I'm like, you're not going to be ready for this weekend. Let me handle it. Like, just let me take it. We've been here, done this. When he gets sick, it, like, knocks him out for a long time. So I'm like, let me handle it. And, I, and he felt bad because, I like, he knew I had a wedding and I was about to leave for the dress rehearsal. I had to stay down, like, down in LA and, and do the wedding and then and on Saturday come back rehearsal dinner was on friday night so i'm getting ready to drive and i'm frustrated because i'm like god you knew this was going to happen i could have been preparing all week long but i didn't know that i was preaching and now i have to do this wedding and this is a nuisance in the way now now it is you know in the way of what you're like what i need to do and it's so interesting because i was having this conversation on the phone and begin to just feel challenged like what if the things we consider the hindrances, the things that get in the way, the, the, the things that are, are, are the annoyances that, that mess up our schedule are the very things, it is where, exactly where we're supposed to be. It is the thing itself. It is not the, like, the thing in the way to get where you need to be. It is where you need to be. What if the whole point is the things that we see as the, the most annoying, frustrating, and inconvenient things are actually the adventures and the life moments that God wants us to be really, really present in? I'm wishing away this wedding of a person that I've been, I've been connected to since she was in high school. She was a high school student, became a leader in my youth ministry. We went through a lot together. And then now she's about to get married has asked me to do her wedding. This is a beautiful moment. This is one of the most beautiful moments that life gives us is the moment of marriage. And I felt challenged to be present, to rather than seeing this as the thing that's in the way to what I need to get to, which is preaching, because that's the important thing. God being like, what if this is the thing? Be present there. Like, fully give yourself to this. And it was so cool because what happened was something that I did not expect. As she comes walking down the aisle, and I'm standing next to, to her, going soon to be husband, I watch him get super emotional and they lock eyes. And it's something that you cannot fabricate. You cannot, like, make this thing up. There is this tangible connection that you see, and it's this beautiful moment. And she made her way down, and she looks at him, and they just lock eyes together. And you realize, like, this is it. It all sinks in. This is it. And I got to read to them this verse. 1 Corinthians 13. And God spoke to me so clearly through this verse says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it does not keep record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the love that Paul Saul turned Paul became acquainted with as he locked eyes with Jesus for the first time and a marriage took place that we are all invited into. See, the church, when I stood before these two people, I thought what an intimate thing for Jesus to call uh, to make the symbol between him and his church. It's the bride. It becomes the church is the bride of Christ. And when you stand in this moment, you realize all that matters. Nothing else is seen. It's just these two eyes locked into each other. And in that moment, they see nothing else. They are aware of nothing else. It is this beautiful moment of connection that is between them two. And it is this love that is offered as they give their lives to one another. And it is the very thing that God is inviting us into that Jesus is saying, that is what I want with you. Lock eyes with me. There is intimacy and connection. And I will show you what this kind of love looks like because we struggle with it, y'all. This kind of love is hard for us. I will be the first to admit why I love Paul is because Paul is me. My story, I feel like my story is the very thing that disqualifies me from being able to preach. I feel like there are people who would see me and be like, who do you think you are to present this message? Who do you think you are to have anything to say? And I think many of you feel the same way. I think many of you let your stories define your future and the present and what God has for you. And just like Paul, recognize you are in good company this morning. You are in good company. Because Jesus took the Pharisee, the former Pharisee, who then was ashamed of his past. His past was something that was so Ugly. It seemed like the black eye on his story and a black eye on the church that made it look bad on his bride and Jesus used that very thing to bring hope and to bring a message that we are talking about 2,000 years later. Some of your legacy, some of you don't even know what God has for you, but you would miss it simply because you have not understood that the freedom that God has for you starts with a marriage with you and Jesus. It starts with locking eyes with him. He is not inviting you into more rules. He is inviting you into this intimate, beautiful moment where you stand face to face with him and say, I give my life to you. And he says, and I've already given mine for you. There's an intimacy, a desire for more. It is not the point to sit and listen to messages and go out and do your best. It is the point to engage with Jesus. Obedience is a natural byproduct of a loving relationship Yo, you don't wake up with the people you love and say, "I want to lie to you today cuz I'm a little bored and I want to shake things up a bit." I really hope you get you we have trust issues after this and we got to work through it for a couple months so that I got some things to work on, you know, cuz otherwise I'm just going to be sitting here. I really want to cheat on you today, you know, cuz I just hope that maybe things will be a bit more interesting. Nobody does that, especially with somebody you love. You don't look at them and say that. We the same thing goes for us. When sin gets in the way, we start to, that becomes a thing that we realize it's not that there's God that's just waiting for you so he can slap you as soon as, and spank you as soon as you get, like, you do something wrong. The whole point is he's like, I love you and this is getting in the way of us. Creates trust issues. It creates all this, these issues. You start thinking that I'm other than what I am. You start, your perspective shifts. It becomes darkened. The more we give into it, the more our eyes become darkened. I can tell you that from personal experience. The whole point is to lock eyes. Saul becomes Paul, and this is what he says. This is what I'm going to leave you with this morning. Philippians 3, 5 through 9, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything, counting it all as garbage, so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. Y'all, I don't know how any any other way to say this, you are not gonna work your way to Jesus. Because that's not how marriages work. It's not how weddings work. It's a commitment that both people make because they look at each other and say, I can't imagine my life without you. And Jesus has been waiting for us to say the same thing. I just can't imagine my life without you. I can't live another day without you. And every day becomes this pursuit of doing life together. Becomes this intimate, deep relationship where you, yeah, you start to shift perspective and things start to change. And suddenly you may have looked a lot more like Saul and now you look a lot more like Paul. And there will be naysayers because there will always be those who have something to say. And there will always be people who are going to tell you, you don't have a place here and you don't have a right. But that is not the heartbeat of Jesus. That is the heartbeat of religion. And this morning you have a place. We are all the Pharisee and we are all the sinner. The beauty of the message, the gospel. So whichever side you s- find yourself on this morning, my prayer is that your heart becomes awakened with the kind of love that we see in, in 1 Corinthians. It's a recipe for life. As we get ready to worship, as the worship team comes, we're going to close. I stood before this couple and I read this verse and I got, I started to get choked up one because the moment was beautiful and it was powerful but two because i felt like god was sitting there saying this is what i've this is what i've offered to you guys to all of you this beauty in this marriage the thing that girls you spend your whole life preparing for with your pinterest boards you already have tried on your dress you're not dating anybody but you got your dress picked out you know what ring you want cut shape size color it matters we know that that marriage matters it's something that is so beautiful and jesus is inviting us into the same thing what you are being invited into is not a relationship with a dictator it is a relationship with a loving father and this is a this is a relationship that wants to transform you into love like jesus we become more like jesus as a byproduct of being with him not as a byproduct of being connected to lo- to laws and rules this is how we know Yo, you were invited into this today. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter who you are. Religious, Pharisee, sinner, both. This is the one thing I'd ask. Don't be the other group of people that were there that I didn't name because they don't get named because they were the crowd that was there when Jesus was doing big things and it was great and it was cool for them. And they were the first ones there that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on his donkey, they're yelling Hosanna to the king with their palm branches and and the first to worship him. And then they're the first ones that they drop the, the palm branches and they're pointing the finger and they're yelling crucify him when that when the culture shifted and when things changed. Don't be those people. There's no room in the story for them because they're not even worth naming. Because they were just those in the crowd who were around and they followed when it was convenient and they disconnected when it wasn't. And churches are full of people who have missed out on what Jesus really has for them because it's safer and easier to take a step back and just to watch. But you miss out because one way or the other, at least when you choose a side—the Pharisee or the sinner—Jesus engaged with them both. Everybody else, they're just there; they're just peripheral. And I encourage you, step in today. Maybe you've been on the on the in the crowd, first to be like, "Ah, this week, yeah, yay, Jesus, my palm branch," and then the next week, crucify. We're gonna worship. And we're gonna close. Can I encourage you as we approach this time of worship to engage this differently? It is not about a song. It is not about how it sounds. It is not about how you sing. It is not about this this moment just to go through the motions. It is about you connecting your heart with God. Maybe yours is like a marriage that is like you become roommates. And you're around each other, but there's no connection, there's no relationship, there's no intimacy left, there is nothing left. You vaguely remember those vows that you made, but it it looks nothing like what you had hoped for. With Jesus, it's as simple as turning right back and facing him. He invites you right back in. No punishment, no, you're a terrible person, I'm going to show you. Nah. it's an open invitation, it's open arms. The kind of love that we're looking for. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you this morning that there are folks who have come walking through these doors who just needed to hear that you are a God who loves so well, but you love indiscriminately. You love the Pharisee as much as you love the sinner, God, that we are both and each and all of those things. Father, I pray that we would experience the type of intimacy that only comes through a marriage that we would lock eyes with you that we would see you God and that this would be more meaningful than just oh yeah I'm not going to hell anymore or or yeah I'm trying to do the right thing or oh yeah that this becomes this flourishing overwhelmingly beautiful intimate relationship Jesus, I pray that we would lock eyes with you and that something would be awoken in our hearts. Awake, my soul, Lord. Let today be a moment that sparks change because it's what we need. I pray that you would just do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place as we sing this last song and as we worship. Be glorified. Lead us closer to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song. Why don't you stand as we sing?